Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, I have an awesome buyer's agent and property investment guru to interview today. It's James Rankin, Director of Elephant Advisory. We talked to James about how he first got interested in property, what it means for him now working as an advocate, and we talk about some of the things that he shared in his awesome YouTube series, which is called The Trunking Truth About Finance and Property. We're also casting the spotlight on Melbourne Southeast, which is where he's most active, and we talk about some of the roadmap that he's put together on how to buy a property. It's a really great interview from James. I got a lot out of it myself, and I'm sure you will as well. Here's James. James Rankin, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. Well, I was I was almost going to say, well, there's not much, not many other places you can be. However, even though we're probably going to be uh, releasing this recording a month from today, you Victorians have been set free, so you do actually have options. Yeah, that's right. We're not <laughs> not confined. We're still confined, but um, not as badly as what it once was. So, yeah, the, the chains are off. So kick us off, James, with who you are and what you specialise in, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so I am a buyer's advocate down here in Melbourne and we specialise. So my business is Elephant Advisor and we have mortgage broking and then also the buyer's advocacy, specialising in the southeast of Melbourne. So we go around to the bay, um, but, yeah, mainly that southeast pocket maybe 15 to 20 k's out of town uh anything over the bridge i don't really touch like over the Westgate. that's um yeah uh, we're not when we're trying to be niche and specialize in an, in an area for clients that's um that's our key area yeah beautiful love the bay very blue chip nice part of the world yeah it's not- uh, what were the posters on the bedroom wall growing up james definitely cars and probably some Pretty women as I got older, as the, <laughs> as the um, posters change. Uh, not too many like destination, but probably probably a lot of the car stuff when I was younger, definitely. Yeah. What was the main one? Um, I mean, you're probably not old enough for things like the Testarosses and stuff or, or or help us out. Yeah, that was still there. Like I'm, I'm 30, what am I now, 34. So... Yeah, no, they were definitely there. The um, Michael Jackson, he uh, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, he had he had one of those, the five twelve um, yep. Lamborghinis, and then you know the good old Street Commodores magazines as well. Heaps of, heaps <laughs> most of the of those up on the wall. It's more Lamborghinis than Commodores in uh, in the Brighton sort of area. Yeah, certainly, especially uh, <laughs> a few early morning rides. There's a guy that regularly brings his out and you can smell you can hear it coming a mile away but you can also smell it when it goes past <laughs> love it um how did you first get started in property and what was your first investment so i like started in property working in it um probably what is it? it's coming up 10 years now but my first experience was when parents, my parents were, um, they lived in some farmland and all of the um, blocks were getting redeveloped. So it was getting sold off and the uh, selling hut was on our property. So parents leased some of their land to the um, the agent because everything else was getting developed. And when the agent wasn't there, I used to jump on my push bike and help a few of the buyers out 
and take them to the blocks because I knew where all the blocks were because I actually used to mold the all the nature strips for them to keep it in <laughs> keep it in check. And yeah, used to just push you know ride my bike around so i always had an interest in in real estate and people would ask me you know what do you want to be and i'd say i want to be a real estate agent and you know this is the 90s and most people didn't have a really good connection with real estate agents so they'd be like why do you want to be one of them yeah you're a kid you've got your whole life ahead of you yeah like why do you want to be a real estate agent (laughs) yeah that's sort of um how it how it sparked and then my next door neighbor being a developer he was the one that actually developed all of the land around us and saw him, saw his friends and got a real attachment to it. So I tried to get into the industry straight out of school. I did all my, um, your, you know, your placements and things like that during school work experience. I did that in real estate agencies, but tried to get into it at, at 18 and just didn't have a hope because it was one, a bad market and I was too young and yep. all the, all the, um, the guys pretty much said, go and get some life experience. So that's what I did. I just headed out and and uh, jumped into it so and and ran my own businesses first first investment though was probably yeah it's probably coming up 10 years now um which was through a guy that i i was working with a developer and i bought one of his his properties so something that they were building and i knew what was going on i could see everything not something i would typically uh get one of my clients into but because i was ingrained in it and i knew what was going on with the construction um i was able to buy one of those as an investment so yeah and you did well out of that yeah we've still got it now so you know it was definitely dipping the toe in the water because it was a two bedroom two bedroom one bathroom one garage unit in druin so right yeah definitely got the got the toes wet with that one and it's been a it's been a cracker to be honest like it's been a um it's been a decent little one to hold beautiful now you we'll we'll pick it back up at the the sort of sad point where all you wanted to be was in property and real estate and and these nasty uh principles said you know buzz off kid you need a few more uh bits of stubble on the chin before you can get in um what what did you go and do you you mentioned you started a couple of businesses yeah so everything you know the entrepreneurial in me just wanted to have a go at everything so i had a couple of um car based businesses so started off detailing um with a mate of mine straight out of high school and then that i i went off and worked with my dad and um had a few other things experiences overseas and setting up um new businesses in china to supply australia and yeah whole rig- rigmarole over that so that probably took me till i was about uh, 2021 and then had um a car like vinyl wrapping like a modification car business and yeah did that for for a number of years and transitioned during that period into real estate so i was doing a bit of both and then yeah just fully transferred into real estate but the uh the cars just yeah it, that was always going to be a part of my life especially if i couldn't get into real estate it was just a fallback on cars well, I mean, real estate was a passion, and and you mentioned that cars are on the bedroom wall growing up. So it's uh, it's you've diverted into another passion, and I've got to say, like, you know, starting your own uh, detailing, wrapping business, you know, setting up things in China. That's a hell of a lot of life experience to go and get at around the age of twenty one. Yeah, I was thrown in the deep end. So my first trip to China, I think I was about. 
I don't know, 19, 19 and a little bit. Uh, yeah, just went over with the boss and he sort of said, this is it. This is the operation we want to do. Can you start, you know, you know, um, getting everyone in check with uh, the processes and whatnot? And then literally for the next 18 months, two years, we were moving one of the Melbourne factories over to over to China, not because it was cheaper or anything. Well, it was cheaper, but the main reason was the import taxes because we supplied a lot of the stuff to Hong Kong and the right. import tax from Australia was astronomical. So if we had a, a, a factory in China, it was a lot easier and a lot cheaper to supply that market and we, we were competitive. So that was the main reason to go over there. But, yeah, creating, you know, SOPs and videos. Like I was doing Zoom on this clunky old camera through Skype. Yeah, what is it? Probably 24, 25 years ago. Oh, sorry, 15 years ago. Um, back then, like setting up video conferencing with the with the team in, in uh, China. And the factory was enormous. Like I had a push bike in the factory. It was that big. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was it was a huge undertaking. And I went back multiple times, five or six times at three-month stints to get it all up to scratch all the way through. And, yeah, we're doing overseas um, ventures to Dubai and the UAE and setting up how they do business and, yeah, like understanding their certifications on products. And, yeah, there was a, there was a ton of stuff. So it taught, taught me heaps and, you know, I was glad – I don't, that I was thrown in the deep in there because running my own business now, even though I've got a really great business partner, you just learn a lot of things uh, along the way. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty pretty unique experience to get. So your first job in property was actually in the development space, is that right? Yeah, correct. So, well, it was, again, it was my next door neighbour. Um I reconnected with him. So not my next door neighbor. He is um, one of his business partners, friends. I'd reconnected with him. I knew him when I was younger uh, and he was kind enough to give me a job and said, this is commission only. We don't pay a base wage. You know, you're going to be right to support yourself for a year to 18 months. And I was just like, um, yeah, why not? Like, <laughs> give it a go. Yeah, I still had... I still had the um the car wrapping business at the time, so it was um something that I could throw myself into, and yeah, so he gave me a go in the um display like uh, custom build homes. So we did a lot of recreations of traditional homes. So you know, if anyone's watching the block at the moment, we pretty much created those facades like California bungalows, all the traditional you know Edwardian facades. So I was literally thrown into a, a display. He gave me a set of keys and said, drive down to here. There's a display. Open the door. People will come through and see what happens. <laughs> see if you can sell them yeah. some of the stuff that we sell. Yeah, pretty much. Like literally just gave me a, a display to go and understand and, and learn the industry. So I had no clue on how to draw a floor plan. And these were custom homes like full-on custom homes that people wanted to come in and design every inch of their bathroom and this specific tile and air conditioning systems and all this kind of stuff and bringing up, you know, daunting memories of sitting with people on freaking air, con air conditioners just doing my head in. 
But, um, yeah, it was, it taught me heaps and heaps about the industry. I, I used to go after I finished it, you know, five thirty six o'clock at the display and shut it up. I'd go back and sit with the design team, um, the drafting team, sorry, because he was a, he was a work, uh, a late worker. He didn't start until 12, but he'd be there until 12 at night. So I'd go and sit with him and say, I'd just sit there and watch him draw houses and understand how everything worked because the first house that I drew had a span downstairs of about 12 metres in the living room. I'd yeah. draw a big square box because that's what the client wanted. I didn't understand that if you've got something upstairs, it can't just sit in free, you know, in free air. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be supported by something. So Thankfully, you, know, you weren't building them with those sorts of specifications. Yeah, exactly right. Like you could build them, but I got the bill back or the estimation back for $100,000 worth of steel to have this void um, or just this um, box sitting on top of another box. Like It, was, it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. So <laughs> I said to, to Ronnie, hey, I've got to understand this stuff. Can you give me some time? I'll just come and sit and watch you. And I did that for months and months and months. I just was a sponge in that office. I'd sit in there and my boss, who I looked up to and look up to now, and, and a couple of other guys in the office immensely, I got so much knowledge and I'm so appreciative of the time that they gave me because I would just sit there and talk to them for hours and hours and hours about property and all the stuff that they went through because it was mind-blowing what they'd achieved. That, I mean that that that's awesome, and I think it it goes to show that if if you've got a genuine passion and an interest, then people are quite happy to to share with you if they know that that you're you're listening and you're absorbing and you value what they do. What what were so you you mentioned you you learned a lot obviously you know, about construction and the design process, but what are some of the key takeaways that really help you today working as a buyer's advocate? I'm. Probably the most cynical person when I come to look at property initially. I have so many checkpoints and I'm really like, I just don't, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a, a few things that really need to be ticked off, ticked off before I get excited because in the early days, I'd used to get excited straight away. Like I found this property because I moved from, just doing the the uh, custom builds into the development space where we we're trying to find um, good property to buy and, and redevelop. And I'd find something, it wasn't online and, you know, I've been speaking to an agent and I'd run back to the office and say, I've got this property, it's awesome. And they'd be like, it's it's crap, like <laughs> it's no good, this, this property doesn't work. So that um, that really got ingrained into me to say, hey, look at everything before you get excited about it. And I guess now I've transacted on so many properties and looked at thousands, tens of thousands of properties, your ability to go through that checklist really quickly and say, no, that's crap, that's crap, that's crap. And then get find the the golden goose or the, the one that, you know, really ticks the majority of the boxes. That's probably the biggest thing that I learned um, over that period. Just, just on how to look and identify a good property is probably, yeah, the, the biggest the biggest thing that I've learned over time. Because of the amount of transactions you do, I'm guessing that there are agents that say, oh, James won't like this one because of X, Y, Z, or I should give James a call on this one because it ticks all of his 1,000 fussy boxes. 
Does that happen? Certainly with some clients. Like I don't, we're definitely not an agent that's churn and burn or an agency that's churn and burn. We're very much a, a boutique. I only take on our full service, you know, end-to-end purchase. I only deal with one or two clients at a time. It's not, you know, because I want to do it. I've got so much control over it. I'm not going to f- push it off to someone else to vet or analyze. It's all me. Like I do everything. I don't use external companies to do valuations or anything like that. It's it's literally, it's all me. So when I'm focused on an area and because we're in that Southeast corridor, if I do call up an agent and say, hey, this is what I need, I give them the specifics and you're right, they won't, they won't just give me the crap. Over time, they'll understand, especially if I haven't worked with them much before, they'll learn pretty quickly that, I'm up front and I'll just say that's not going to work for me. So I literally draw a map to the street profile and say don't send anything out of this or, you know, so don't send if it's 14 Smith Street, I've said that's the cutoff, don't send me 15 because I'm not going to look at it. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> yeah and that's, that's because of the detail I go, with, go into with my clients to say where is the cutoff point? Like where are we at on a suburb? Because... I can't get the best, like I can't work with the best agents, the most knowledgeable agents in that area unless we're specific. So that's just, that's the way I do it anyway. Um, So yeah, the agents that I work with are really good and and we work with all different types of agents and different agencies at, you know, different price points. But I think the specificity helps a lot. Great word, specificity. Uh, James, I'm, I'm wondering um, when it comes to buyer's agents or buyer's advocates, a lot of property investors probably wouldn't realise that there are, there are sort of different uh, piecemeal parts that you can engage an advocate for. You talked about the end-to-end service. I'm interested in, in what an end-to-end service actually entails and I know that there are, for example, buyer's agents that will um, they will attend auction a bit on your behalf or they might have a little due diligence piece in it as well but they're not actually sourcing the properties. Can you unpack a bit of that for us? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, so our end-to-end is literally that. I, I say to people that are thinking about it, you can go on holiday for six months, come back, and I'll have a property for you. Like, it's everything. And it's it's more like a concierge, I guess, because we go and pick up the keys at settlement, we check off, we you know, we do the pre-settlement inspections and run over all that kind of stuff. But in terms of the search, yeah, we hit all of our databases and I say we because I do have a process team that helped me with accumulating all of that database uh, and that's more the data point. But any analyzing stuff is all is all me. The Yeah, so the search, we just pile everything into our system and then I vet everything, go through it all, book the inspections. Uh, if I can't find anything and, you know, if there's any agents out there, 
they might get upset, but I do do letterbox drops as well. So if there's a specific property that I'm looking for, I'll letterbox drop and door knock if I need to to find something because, yeah, you can put as many um, emails out there to say I need this property. I know that they're there. And if I'm not getting it back from the agent, then I'll just go and find it myself. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the level of detail, I guess, that we go into. And I, and as I said before, like I can't do that if, I'm, if I've got 10 clients on the go. It's just never going to be a thing. So why we work pretty closely with one or two at a time. Yeah. So that's the, yeah, it's right right through the process. So they can be in, involved in it as much as they want or as little as they want. So if they tell me I want a Zoom meeting at Tuesday, every, every single Tuesday at 9 a.m., cool, that works for me, let's lock it in. Uh, but if they say don't tell, don't bring me anything until you hit these numbers, especially if it's an investment property, come back to me when we've got X, you know, amount of growth with the rent and and whatever. Uh, yeah, don't come to me unless you find the property. Then yeah, I won't I won't go back to them. Especially that's probably more the the uh, development clients that I've worked with in the past. I don't do too many at the moment because. It can be extremely painful from from my end, but um, yeah. When I was doing the development uh, acquisitions, it was more about that. Like, does this work? Because I can do feasibilities, so I would work out all the feasibilities and go back to them and say, "Yep, we hit twenty eight percent. Is this something that you want to go forward with?" So, yeah, it's um, it's probably down to that level. Beautiful. I want to take a moment to chat about your YouTube series, which um, was called The Trunking Truth About Finance and, and Property. I think you may have mentioned the other day that the name might change, but it's still there and I would absolutely recommend people to, to go and check it out. There's some awesome content in there. Can you let people know what they could could find if they track that down and yeah. is it still the same so it has it's changed a lot like COVID has taught us heaps it is still that but it's transitioning now to the property heroes uh, all of right. that stuff just our education because we're an advisory firm and we do we do have some very good clients and we just didn't want them to say hey look now we're doing all this education stuff it was a bit of a um, bit of a confusion there so we've moved all of this over to let's buy property and uh, property heroes so but yeah it's still the trunking truth on on youtube and that was a series that i was doing called james in the jungle obviously going back to our roots of uh, the elephant advisory business uh, that was really just something i wanted to do to go through properties in melbourne show people what to look for go a day-to-day in what i do uh, and I did the first one and people loved it. Like I put it out to friends and family and just got feedback for days and, yeah, kept going with it. I, like I love doing it and yeah. hoping that the day comes again when we can get back out and do them again. Yeah, I hope so too. It's it's really quality stuff. I, I, I enjoyed um, the ones that, that I watched for sure. Um, but when you say James in the jungle, um, I mean Melbourne southeast. There's the jungle, and then there's Melbourne southeast. I know it's it's perhaps a, a bit of a play on words, but Melbourne southeast is is a is a pretty affluent area. What's the reason behind specialising in this part of Melbourne? Probably because that's where I've lived my whole life. I grew up. Yeah. I went to school here. Played at mates' houses when I was a kid around here. So it's just what's 
uh, what I'm um, used to. You know, going back to even when I was younger, mum worked at the council, Stonington Council, so she'd bring home any of the news articles or um, the Melbourne Weekly for Stonington and I would just sit there and read it. Like I'd go to the go to the real estate pages and just read it. So I've always had that sort of connection for property in general. I just, I like real estate. I don't know, it's call me weird or whatever it is. I, I just like looking at properties. So I think the commonality, not the commonalities, but the, I guess, connection that I already had to the area was easy for me to transition into a business. And I've always been about niching down, as they say, the the it word for business at the moment, you know, niching down. And I'd love to be just the real estate or the buyer's advocate for Malvern East. Like that would be my dream to just be Malvern East buyer's advocate. That's it. <laughs> well, we can we can make it happen. I'll just <laughs> intro you as such and, you know, the, the world will take notice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm. I'm wondering. Um, I mean, you mentioned that maybe you're weird. I, I think you're. You're definitely uh, a property nerd. You're, you're. You're definitely obsessed with it. And I think the people that you should be using if you're outsourcing any of the property stuff, whether it being conveyancing or buyers advocates or uh, any of that sort of stuff, you want someone that's absolutely obsessed. So I, I think that's that's a real real strength. So. You, you grew up in, in southeastern Melbourne. I'm interested in the idea of, you know, people purchasing investment properties in areas where they're familiar. I mean, I know that you work in the investment space as well as the owner, Ock. Do you happen to live in an area that has very good long-term property investment fundamentals as well? I, I believe so. Like, I know there's a lot of people that want to diversify and I've diversified. I've bought in other states myself. So I totally understand that. And if someone comes to me saying, hey, we want to do that, cool. I know this person in Queensland. I know this person in Altona. Go, go and speak to them because they've got way more knowledge in that space than I do. But talk anything this southeast corridor, especially Stonington, Burundara, Glenara, like all that pocket is is pretty close together Uh 15Ks out of town, I yeah, there's definitely opportunities in there. As long as you're staying away from the high-rises, any of the buildings with cladding, yeah, history shows that this area has done really well. Yeah, if you bought in, I don't know, probably early 90s, you know, you were getting in here for 200000 like aroundabouts. You couldn't buy a 600-square-metre lot in Malvern East or Malvern is way more expensive now, but Malvern East say it's 2 million bucks to get in there away from a main road. Hmm. So, you know, 200 grand to 2 million. I know that that's a, um, it's over time, but that's quite a, quite a significant growth. Yeah. I can't do the mass on that percentage, but it's, um, it's growth. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, as the director of Elephant Advisory, I'm segueing to the elephant in the room, and that's um, Melbourne being significantly affected by the the extreme lockdown um, restrictions, and we'll probably stay away from the political argument. But how has this affected the property market? It's definitely the best way to put it is just throwing a spanner in everyone's works, you know, real estate agents, buyers, advocates, mortgage brokers, buyers themselves, vendors. It's just 
it's really difficult for people to comprehend if you're not going through it. You know, a lot, a lot of people reach out and say, it's okay, it's okay. But unless you're here, we've sort of formed a community now where it's like, we're from Melbourne, we know what we're going through, leave us alone type of thing. And um, it's interesting, like I've had a, a heap of conversations with agents over the last week since it's we've been released, but the agents are really keen to get everything out that they have. There's a huge stockpile of properties that they've built up and, you know, they probably haven't, been able to bank up their commissions because a lot of them work commission based so they're missing eight to ten weeks of income that now they have to make up for in this last quarter so it's going going to be a real rush i think to the end of the year everyone's wanting to get their properties on like i spoke to one guy yesterday his little team's got 40 properties to come online and that's one guy in one agency yeah 40 properties in the pipeline so you times that by how many agents in Melbourne that are all desperate to get theirs on, there's there's going to be a flood of properties. But people are still dubious. Because we've got the mortgage business, we can see pre-approvals and the rates. And I always ask the guys, hey, you know, how many pre-approvals have we had this week? And they've been quite slow for this time of the year. They're right. starting to increase. Like we're getting more inquiries for that. But the instant... They the banks are quite slow at getting the pre-approvals at the moment because they're understaffed and you know with all of the processing and whatnot overseas, so mm. it's taking them longer. And the longer that they take to get the pre-approvals, people can't go and spend their money. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be a delayed effect. Uh, I think early next year is when the masses will hit the market. But if you're in a position to buy in Melbourne now is go time. Like I wish I had capacity at the moment to go and buy because I would. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With with a, a heap of supply coming on to the market and obviously there are there are buyers that were struggling with a, a lack of stock in the last little while. I think, yeah, that huge bit of supply with some very enthusiastic agents wanting to close deals could be this little this little perfect storm, this little blip for people to get involved, you think? Absolutely. I called that. I, I had a post last week called The Perfect Storm and it is exactly that. Like literally if people can get their stuff together and get everything lined up, finance being key, you are in a, a ripper position to transact on some good prop. I'm not going to say that you, you're you going to get it un, you know, 10% under, but you might get it for what they're asking for, 10,000 under what they're asking for. And typically in Melbourne, especially in this inner circle, we're always paying overs, you know, especially yeah. in the uh, in the auction space. Agents always underquote as much as you know the as many laws as we can have. You you just can't catch the underquoting, and you'll see it go from a low amount if it's an auction, and if it's moved to negotiation, it's moved bumped up. You know, it might be bumped up a hundred grand because they're expecting to be negotiated down. So. It's just a, an interesting one. I, I don't think people are up for those massive discounts. But, yeah, if you can get 10, 20 grand off the asking price, if it has been overquoted, and this is why people need to do their homework or use a professional to make sure that you aren't overpaying. But, yeah, if that listing price is what it's worth, then you can um, you can try to negotiate your, your best well, you're going you're gonna to have the best opportunity to negotiate your terms. 
Beautiful. Yeah, there'll be some interesting stories uh, in the next few months about how people have transacted in this little period. And yeah, hopefully next calendar year, it's going to be boom times again. I want to I want to pick your brain about your personal investing philosophy. From what I can uh, see, it's around um, you know high land percentage, existing properties, preferably older stock with you know unique architectural um, attributes that are that are quite uh, appealing. Art Deco style terraces. Uh, how close am I? And if I am on the money, what makes these attractive for you? No, it's certainly on the money and I'm no one new to or I haven't invented this system, but it's just scarcity, right? Like it's age-old tale of scarcity. So that's really what we're looking for in apartments or in units and houses, whatever type of property that we're looking for, there's just got to be a scarcity value to it. So if it's a land component because, you know, we deal with first home buyers that, have parents who are all about, no, you've got to buy a house or you've got to buy a unit that's got a backyard. We're trying to educate them to say, hey, no, they can't afford that today. So yeah. they, they still want a property. This is their best option. And yep. it's positioned here. It's, you know, it's one of 20 on the block. Like that would be an extreme for us, but it might be one of eight in a, in a walk-up flat they can get into the market and we've done our estimates. It's got a high land component compared to other properties in this area. It's going for a similar price, larger square meters. That's all the all the stuff that we're looking for. The, the key is just that scarcity value because it flows on to so many other components of the purchase. Yeah. And what are some of the most common mistakes that you see um, sort of zeroing in on in investors when they're, looking for an investment property? Uh, probably, yeah, maybe maybe focusing too much on a, a tax benefit and the like just ha- making sure that it's a good property, right? Like tax is certainly one thing and I, I know that that's in your space a thousand <laughs> percent. Like that's why we, we have bought properties to or newer properties, but it wasn't the main reason why we bought it. It's, it's got to have the capital growth. If you're talking about investment, sure, that, that whole um, column of tax is unbelievably good. It's just, and it, look, this comes down to your strategy as well. If you're wanting to hold this property for a long, long time, then capital growth is the winner. So we've got to make sure that the, the capital growth is there and that you're buying the right property. The only reason why I say the tax component because they go and buy in a high-rise building and that's just not what we buy in uh, because we've seen a few belly flops where clients and on the mortgage side, again, because we're exposed to it, we've got a few clients at the moment that have bought in these high-rise buildings four or five years ago, Paran, Richmond, South Yarra, paid $480,000 for it and they're trying to sell them for four twenty. dollars it's mm, not a good investment at all. Like that's not an investment. If you're losing money, if you if you're literally tearing up sixty grand, plus the holding costs and body corp and all that kind of stuff, is uh, that that's not an investment, right? No. And if you're selling it for what you paid for it, you're still making a massive loss with the costs to get in and out of property. Spot yeah. On. Um, you're right. Tax depreciation is my special subject and what I do every day. But um, 
even I will say taxes are is a bonus. It shouldn't be the number one sort of driver for the type of investment property that we're purchasing. And our, our data that we've collected over the last five years is, is, is now sort of peaking to the point where 49.6% of people are actually buying new that come through our system, which is, which is increasing year on year. It's a little bit uh, frightening. And especially with average development sizes, we've been tracking them from the high 60s uh, up to the mid 90s. It's come back a little bit. So we're talking, we're talking uh, at the moment around about 80 units in the development is the average. So you talked about the worst case scenario being 20 or, you know, preferably being eight. When we're talking about 80. This is, these are high rise developments that have a lot more inherent risk, right? Yeah, they're they're the ones that we want to stay away from. And because I'm probably a little bit more negative towards them than the majority because I worked in that space. So not only did I do the land subdivisions and unit developments and whatnot, I did high rises too. So I was in the in the acquisitions team and marketing team for all of those, well, for a lot of high rise buildings. And I understand there's a lot of rubbish out there <laughs> yeah yeah not to say that that you can't find a good investment property in a high density unit but there are some definite inherent risks with the amount of of supply and you know what it's going to be valued at after you pay for it now this is a good sort of segue into what i've heard you talk about is taking the lid off the real estate industry let's uh let's bung the lid off now what are we talking about james yeah so it's really just making First home buyers, Aussies aware of the risks as well. Like, you know, all the things that you wish you had known when you bought a property because we made a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, if you bought property 10 years ago, you, you no doubt would have made a mistake, especially as an investor. But because of time, we've been able to recover those mistakes or those losses. And, you know, uh, what do they say? Real estate's like a bad haircut. It'll grow back one day. <laughs> so, you know, but I think the younger generation coming through now will just have to wait a lot longer to regain those um, any losses or mistakes. So it's even more important for asset selection to be correct. And that's really what burns me is that so many people and spruikers are still out there trying to pitch these huge, huge gains, especially if you're an investor. You know, I, I see astronomical figures of returns back and I just don't think it's the right way to to sell someone into into a, uh, a development or anything like that to say, yeah, cool, we'll cover your um, 6% rental return or whatever it is. You know, I, they used to do that a lot down in Melbourne, but it's progressed up the coast now and they still do it in Queensland where they'll do the rental guarantees. Uh, it's just... I can't stand it and it just burns me. So I guess taking the lid off all of our Instagrams and my personal Instagrams is just trying to let people know as much as I can let them know about real estate and there doesn't have to be this, you know, it's a, it's a mysterious industry unless you're in it, you know, because it brings a lot of prestige as well. Like people aspire to be a property owner and be part of that, you know, home ownership club. It, unless you do it every day, it's unknown. You know, like if you told people what does it cost to buy a property, 
nine times out of 10, 99 out of 100, they're not going to know. They're not going to know what a mortgage registration is. They're not going to know that they had to pay, uh, like even stamp duty, some people don't know what that is. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's really just trying to educate people and, and let them know that it doesn't have to be so daunting because I have have seen it with my own friends and family that see in the media, oh, you need a 20% deposit. Well, you don't if you ask a question because I always wanted property. I I was always asking questions, hey, 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 what do, what do I need to go and buy this property? But most people don't have that inbuilt in them, so it's just... I guess it's just letting them know that it's not what the media posts about, right? Like there's there's a lot more to it and it's not scary. If you want to get into property and you want to know more about it, uh, yeah, just listen to us a bit more. Yeah, I, I think so. If 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 you if you want to understand how something works, you really need to lean on someone that does it all day, every day. How can how can people compete when they're looking for a property against a buyer's agent? That that's that's their trade craft. It's it's um yeah, I think it's really undervalued uh, in the Australian property landscape. I want to ask you about uh, something that you put together as a step to uh, step by step guide, which is your how to buy a property roadmap there's a huge amount of data in this i firstly want to ask you on air because you know of the implied pressure to say yes can we share it and can you run us through uh, what it is and why you decided to put it put it together yeah look it was a bit of a passion project of mine that i've I've wanted to do for quite a long time i've always been fascinated with self-education and this was a bit of a covid um, forced project on me to just sit there and write all the information that I needed to get done. So, yeah, you're right. There's so much data in there and so much information. We have pulled it offline recently because it's gone out to about 100 people and we had we knew this would happen because it does have a lot of good stuff in there. But I'm, I'm happy to share it with you and your listeners to, to give it out. But it's going to transform into a course now and we're modulating it all it's going to be a lot easier to follow and people can get the systemized approach of buying a property and and the process of it because it again if you follow a process it doesn't have to be hard yes there's a lot of checkpoints and you might skip a few things but that's fine as long as you're getting the fundamentals right that's all we want we want to teach people how to buy property well how to buy a good property and get them set up for for the future. That's the ultimate goal with this. And even if this one, you know, went out to a hundred more people and they fifty people bought property, I would be over the moon. Like this is literally unbelievably what we what we wanted to create. And the course is totally totally came about because a buyer's advocacy is expensive, right? Like it can be expensive, and not everyone can afford it. But there's another way. So, again, asking the question of, you know, the deposit, like going back to that, you don't need 20%. You can get it with five. You don't need to spend 2% of your purchase price or a large sum on a buyer's advocate. There is another option to get the information that you need to go and select a good property. You just got to do a little bit of work yourself. So I love it. Yeah. that's We're so excited about it and why we did create 
property heroes uh, and let's buy property. Like that's the website. Let's buy property is the website for property heroes. And yeah, we're just really, really excited about it. Awesome. Well, we're going to shepherd all listeners into the uh, pilot program there, James. So I appreciate, appreciate you um, doing that. We'll chuck a link in the, in the show notes. I want to, I want to get you polishing up your crystal ball. Um, what do you see happening in the national property market heading into the next 12 or so months? Uh, well, I'm pretty, pretty stoked to hear that Brizzy's going to do well because I've got some property up there and uh yeah it's just been sitting stagnant for for a few years now but uh yeah hopefully hopefully that kicks off up there again probably not something that I'll dabble in myself because I don't know it but certainly the areas that I do know in Melbourne yeah I I I just think it's solid like we're we're such a large population and we're growing I know that immigration is a little bit difficult at the moment but when we open the borders up again and there's more and more people coming to to melbourne and sydney again sydney i don't have to i can't comment on too much because i'm not in that industry or not in that uh world but for melbourne yeah i still think it's a solid investment we are yeah we're we're pitched for for a good eight, 18 months i believe I, I can see it just being steady you might be pretty busy, but I know you've been out on the on the push bike. Are you going to be able to push it? And uh, will I see you on the start line for a triathlon in the next twelve months? Oh, it's been. I've signed up for Three Peaks, which is down here in Melbourne, uh, or it's in Falls Creek rather. So I have to because if I don't if I don't train for that, I'm going to be absolutely stuffed. It's two two hundred and thirty five k's and 4,000 metres of climbing, so four kilometres of vertical travel as well on, is on a, a day. Yeah, it's 13 hours roughly is the average person or 12 to 13 hours or something the average person does it in. So, yeah, you're sitting on the bike for a long time. But as soon I've made the commitment to a mate of mine, as soon as the, the 2XU or 2UX triathlons open up again, we're going to sign up. So you'll be the first to know. good man so james how do people get in contact with you if they want to have a chat to you yeah so my email address is james at elephantadvisory.com.au that's the that's the simplest way to get me at the moment especially with uh with everything that's going on and my phone might be dead (laughs) (laughs) yes it could be uh could be sitting on the charger james has mentioned he's been on the phone quite a lot in the last little while Let's um let's finish off with if there's one piece of advice that you could give to property investors, what would that be? A single single advice is to do your research and don't assume the agent has told you everything or is telling you the right information. So that can be around the price, the information in the contract or whatever it might be. Just do your research on it because it's that's the key to buying a good property and making sure that you're not going to overpay the evaluation segment and analysis of a property is where we find everything and where we make all our gains for clients awesome it's been a real pleasure chatting with you james thanks for for coming on board appreciate it no likewise mike it's been it's been awesome it's good to be because we have our podcast as well so it's good to be on the other end of it for someone else it's, it's a lot easier that's for sure Let's give it a quick plug on the way out. Yeah, so it's Property Heroes. You can find it on all the normal podcast apps out there. 
Yeah, as Sean McAuliffe says, in all good bookstores and even that awful one in Launceston. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Cheers, James. Thank you, Mike.